This is a True Foundations podcast. Real time, real life, real answers. You see, what happens with relativism is culture supersedes and changes truth. True Foundations is a ministry that seeks to explain and apply biblical teaching to real life in today's ever-changing world. With a view towards building a stronger church, the teachings are focused on making Scripture work for people by encouraging them to allow the words of Jesus to change them from within. I'm going to address a topic this evening which... um seems to be increasing in its influence in the contemporary church. So I think it's always good to look at those kind of topics so that we're aware. Uh, You might not be familiar with it, but on the other hand, you may well have come across it. The term is called hypergrace. I I think that is an appalling term, but I'll uh, explain that a little bit later on as we go along. I'm going to read a, a verse to start off, and then we'll go from there and explain what people are meaning by that terminology. So in Romans chapter 5, you will read in verse 20 this. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Now that's just a starting point. Uh, there are lots of verses that uh, those who are called hypergrace teachers would use. And the idea behind it is this. Uh, it's not always easy, actually, to find definitive definitions of these things. But the idea is really that somehow, uh, because of what Jesus did on the cross, uh, he dealt with sin, which he did, of course, Uh, He dealt with sin, and so we who are believers, uh, we don't have to bother about sin anymore. Uh, You don't have to confess anything anymore. Uh, You don't have to repent anymore. It's all done. Uh, Of course, we know that what Jesus did is sufficient for any sin anywhere at any time in history. Uh, There's going to be a lot of sin committed uh, after today. Some of it might be ours. Uh, And we know that what Jesus has done is totally sufficient. But what the hyper-grace message says is that there's no longer any accountability for sin. Uh, And so, in a sense, sin doesn't matter anymore. Uh, You could say it doesn't even really exist. That would be a, a conclusion from that kind of idea. So live as you please. Of course, there's nothing new about this. It used to be called antinomianism way, way back uh, in early church days. But this is a, a growing idea that's out there. Now, there are, there are people that are addressing this um, quite rightly. Uh, they are addressing the problem of this so-called hypergrace because they understand that If you sin, you better confess it. Uh, If you sin as a believer, you better repent of it. Uh, It's not a question of of whether what Jesus has done is sufficient or not. That's not the issue at all. It's about justice. It's about dealing with uh, unfinished business in our lives uh, and learning how to put sin behind. So 
there are there are plenty of guys around that are addressing this, uh, and I, I'm all for that. But there's a problem because there is a suggestion by some, and I've heard this myself talking to to, to some guys uh, in days gone by, that you know you can have too much grace. You have to balance it uh, with, with some law. I've, I've heard men say that. You can't have enough grace. There's, there's no such thing as too much grace. You see, the problem is they don't understand grace. Uh, they understand what the hyper-grace guys are saying and they have found that they are wrong. And so they address it and they are correct in addressing it. But if you do not fully understand grace, then you will address it from the wrong place and the wrong message will be communicated. That's not helpful. So I, I wish they wouldn't call it hyper grace. I wish they'd call it something else. I don't care what they call it, but let's make it accurate for what it is. Uh, it is it is not right to keep sinning. And if you do, then you are accountable for it. So, for example, we, we can show that. I, I love the passages that John writes in his uh, letters. So First John, for example, chapter 2, the first verse, he says this, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, that tells me something very, very important. And what it tells me is that contrary to a lot of the mainstream ideas about the Christian life, uh, which find their expression based on a wrong interpretation of Romans chapter 7, uh, which could be summarized uh, something like this, Oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, we could say that the things that I want to do, I can't. Uh, and, and so that is, that is a strong, strong idea in Christian circles. I, I'm just so weak. I can never get it right. I, I can never be free from this. And look, even Paul says it. Why does he say it? Uh, because he's taking the example of what his life was like as a man who tried so hard, but under the law. And of course we read, thanks be. Thanks be to God. Thanks be for what Jesus has really done. There's no condemnation anymore for what Jesus has done. So that kind of Christian lifestyle, which is a justification of weakness and failure, uh, that does not celebrate sin, uh, does not say that uh, it doesn't really count or matter, but it is a resignation of failure and actually denigrates the power of the gospel. So many of those that address this issue are coming from the wrong place and they do not understand grace. If you are in sin, what do you need from God first? You need mercy. 
uh, because mercy looks at it and at that point doesn't take full account of it. Uh, There is an accounting to be made, of course, Uh, but it creates uh, an opportunity uh, for the sin to be addressed. John reflects that. He doesn't use the, the grace terminology here, but he addresses it. His expectation of the Christian life is this. Don't sin. You don't have to sin. The normal, proper expectation of the Christian life is that we live as overcoming people, not bound by the power and tendency to sin. That is the normal, proper expectation. And yet... There is a reality. We're not quite there yet in the walking out of our lives in Christ. And so if we do sin, there is a remedy. Now that is the proper way to think of it. There is far too much focus on the sinful Christian life. Of course, there are Christians whose lives are Dominated by sin. That's a problem. You see, the issue really is about recognizing the old nature and dying to it. And when we die to it, what does God do for us? He gives us grace, as we learned just the other week, looking at the prayer that Jesus taught. Yeah, give us this day our daily bread. Everything that we need in order to be God's kingdom people, overcoming everything that the world would throw against us. That's how grace works. Grace enables us to face the issue of sin and defeat and weakness and overcoming. That's what grace does. We cannot have too much grace. You see, where where sin abounds, grace abounds more. That's another way of saying it. Well, of course, that does not justify sin. We know that. Paul goes on to say that. No, no, never. Don't keep sinning so that grace can abound. Of course not. That is not the logical conclusion of the argument. The logical conclusion of the argument is this, that grace is bigger than any sin that can ever be. In Christ... He gives us what we need to overcome so that sin does not grasp us and have power over us. That's the real issue, isn't it? And so when we think about grace, we need to fully understand that it is supposed to abound to us. If we need it, then it is available. Now, something that I find really interesting is this. When the Word became flesh, and they called him Jesus, didn't they? When the Word became flesh, how did he come? He came full of grace and truth. He didn't need mercy, because he'd done nothing wrong. You only need mercy if you've done something wrong. So he came full of grace 
and true. Now, what I am not saying is that just because he did, and he's our model, if you like, uh, that we are full of grace and truth as well. I'm not saying that. You see, his capacity to hold and handle grace and truth is far greater than ours. It's the same when you think about being full of the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? We can only be as full as our container allows. Jesus was full of the Spirit without measure. You see, he contains the ultimate. But the principle is this. Here's Jesus walking through life and temptation comes. He's full of grace. Temptation has no chance. Because he is equipped and he is enabled to repel all borders. And so in that sense, with that principle, that is exactly what grace should do for us. If we are a Christian that has taken hold properly of this concept, understanding of grace, which is not mercy, you see, there's a limit to mercy. A limit is that God gives a certain time or a season or some kind of boundary uh, so that he can work with somebody to bring them to the place where they do not need mercy. If you're not living a life that is dominated by sin, why do you need mercy? But you still need grace. We need the grace of God to take hold of us and equip us in every possible way that God would give to us so that we can be his overcoming people. So Jesus, he came, he was full of grace, and he was full of truth. If I want to be an overcomer, then somehow I must move towards the place of identifying with Jesus so that I can receive the fullness of grace which is appropriate for me uh, to live as God's child. Well, how do I do that? I certainly don't do it uh, by adding to grace because there's a cap on it and balancing it, balancing it off with some kind of law keeping. I, I cannot do that uh, because I receive nothing from the hand of God by the law. Only by the complete work that Jesus has done and my faith in him. And that's a work of God's grace because he gives it to us. He enables that faith. He enables us to take hold. And so there we are as God's children. How do we come to that place where we can receive the grace that we need? You see, I do not believe that you can ever diminish grace. But you can restrict its activity in your life. And so what we need to do is come to the place where we can identify with Jesus so that then we can make the way for the fullness of grace to come and be real in our lives 
The way to do that is dying to the old nature. It's not the law. You see, there is a law, and we have to understand how law works. We have to use the words properly, in the right context. There is a law that when we are in Christ, and we've got our blinkers off, and we are walking in the Spirit, and we are recipients of that grace which is filling us because the fullness of grace is necessary in our lives. Having died to self, we open the way for the work of God to take home in our lives. And the law that is written on our hearts then finds its own and free expression. It's not a list of rules. What is right is right, always has been. What is wrong is wrong, it always has been. We don't need to put the Ten Commandments up on the wall because you're going to have some kind of struggles with how how do I deal then with uh, keep the Sabbath day holy if we want to go back into Judaistic understanding of the Ten Commandments. But there are, there are principles of morality never change. We have to look to him. We have to know him. We have to worship him with all of our hearts. We have to bow before him and we have to do what is right. But what is right is bigger than all of that. But it's in our heart. There's no list anywhere. But somehow... Our heart has been changed uh, because it used to be a heart of stone, but now it's a heart of flesh. And so the heart is soft and we hear the voice of God and by his spirit, he prompts us and he guides us and he keeps us out of the trouble. That's the grace of God for us, isn't it? That God is willing to come and in whatever circumstance, whatever situation, that he gives us exactly what we need. And so when we, when we hear about some of these examples of the things that are becoming very popular, uh, that are taught, and, and Christians grab onto them easily, or some do, uh, because uh, they want a way out. They don't want to stop sinning, uh, but they don't want to uh, pay a consequence for it. What they need to realize is, let them be consistent in their understanding of Scripture. Confession, repentance is still necessary. And, and if we don't, what does Paul talk about? What does he mean when he says, you might be suffering loss? The so-called hypergrace teachers are leading people down a path where one day they will suffer loss because they have led lives that are totally opposed to the principles of God's goodness and the work of the gospel in their lives. But we must know how to tackle the issue. Not just say, that's wrong. And so they've gone too far. They're extreme on grace. And so we have to counter that by adding some law. That is totally wrong thinking. Really, if you think about it, you think about the gospel. You think about the way Jesus was. You think about the things that God has revealed to us. God is the biggest extremist ever. 
The biggest extreme was the giving of his son. That's extreme. God loves so much, his love is extreme. Everything that God does, he's not balanced, you know. We like balance, or maybe some of us do. We like balance, or let's keep it all in a nice fine balance. No, it's not about balance. It's about what is true, what is right. And if it sounds extreme, that is only extreme to the ear uh, that has not been educated uh, by the truth and by the Spirit of God. And so when we think about grace, uh, we say to the Lord, can we have some more, please? I have not yet exhausted the depths of what grace can do for me in my life. Do you not think that is a better thing, way to think about it? If I need something from the Lord, if I need help with overcoming something, if I'm in a situation that seems to be too big for me, then Lord, will you, will you give me grace? Will you give me everything that I need in order to live in the fullness of what it means to be a child of God, set free from the power of sin? We must not minimize sin. In a way, the person who is still relying on the law is minimizing sin. Because they're saying, well, we can negotiate the Christian life by obeying this and by obeying that, and you can't. The only way you can do it is by the extravagance of the grace of God who enables us. Let us be people who do not live from a place of mercy although there will be days when we need it, let us be people who live from the place of grace. Uh, let us not be ashamed uh, to think of ourselves uh, as people who uh, absolutely love and trust and who do not undermine the workings of the grace of God. You may well be misunderstood. You might be accused of being a hypergrace person. I find that somewhat offensive. But if that's the way it is, so be it. The main thing is that we know what the truth of the matter is and that we live from a place of freedom because God has enabled us. When we ask the Lord for things, I think we should ask for the things that are extreme. I think we should ask for him to, in our lives, help us uh, to be the kind of people who really do know how to die to self. That's extreme. Let us be the kind of people who really know how to ask God for the grace that abounds. Let's not settle for mediocrity. Let's, let's not settle for some kind of balance. Let's be extravagant. Well, it's not God extravagant. 
Let us ask him for every good thing that he would give to us. And if you ever think, maybe, maybe I'm just pressing it a little bit too far. Never forget that the word who became flesh, he came full of grace and truth. I I don't think anybody would dare uh, say that he was a hyper-grace kind of man. He was a man who demonstrated the grace of God without limit in the most remarkable way. He's our example. And sometimes that's a bit daunting, isn't it? But if it is, then ask the Lord. Give me a bit of faith here to believe this, to take home. Uh, because I do not want to limit the work of grace in my life. Amen. Thank you for joining us. True Foundations is headed by David J. Jones, a preacher and teacher of the Word of God. His passion is to help individual Christians discover their true identity in Christ and to learn how grace operates in their lives. Currently residing in Canada, he is taught in both North America and the UK and has listeners all over the world. If you have questions about anything you've heard today, please email us at info at truefoundations.ca. Or for more information on True Foundations resources, please visit our website at truefoundations.ca.